unscripted. Each episode is available to view on YouTube, so be sure to check us out. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. All right, so I know what you're thinking. You're thinking another episode about pornography? Yes. All the episodes we had before were really good, and this one's going to be really good too. And I think you're going to benefit from it. So sit back, relax, and watch the rest of this episode. So, Daniel, where are you from? I'm from San Francisco area. All right, okay. And, Daniel, you specialize in sexual behaviors in the field of marriage and family therapy. First, thank you for being here. Thanks for talking about something kind of uncomfortable. Because, you know, in in the Latter-day Saint culture... We, we don't like to talk about things that make us uncomfortable. Right. We're just like, uh, sex, uh, like we just, uh, but you know what? The it's world is moving. conversation at my house. Oh, is it? <laughs> wow. Me and the five kids. <laughs> oh, this is me. And fun. the wife. Okay, good, so good. Free, free reign in our home. We, we're very open. That's I think it's wonderful. an important topic to, to discuss, but yeah. Well, on that subject, when you started helping families, you realized that there is an a, issue. An issue. Huh. A big issue. It, it's interesting because I actually had no desire to address any types of addiction. And we studied it as a coursework in, in college. And that just seemed like a very intense and overwhelming. And a lot of what we were studying and working with was substance abuse. And I had one of one of the actual experts in, in California was one, one of my professors. And so she would give me these just brutal stories. And I was like, oh, man, you really have to be someone special to, to work with uh, the needs of, of, of an addict. So I went in, I was hoping to go more towards marriage and family relationships in, in, um, just strengthening the family and, and what we can do there. And so as I started doing that and I started going into practice, I started getting calls from LDS members. One particular uh, member had called me up and she had asked if she could come in and see me about her porn addiction. And I said, I was thinking to myself, I says, boy, this isn't something I really want to do. And so I, I, I pushed back. I says, I got some references to some other people I think you might want to see. And she's like, they're not LDS. And I really want somebody who understands my faith. I understand that you're not, I explained to her, I says, I'm not very, uh, that's not my specialty. It wasn't at the time. And she says, that's okay. I just need a place to, it, this is kind of my last resort. And that was a big uh, confession of hers. And I was like, Okay, let's respect that. Let's see what we can do. So I started to meet up with her, and it was it was pretty impressive. Uh, she had spent 15 years in combating her pornography addiction. And it was interesting because I went in there with the hopes, okay, let's get you into ARP, 12-step program, right. or some other type of program to start helping address this, thinking she hasn't tried any of this. This is just like her in-the-closet experience. Mm-hmm. And she says, I've done all that. I'm going to the temple. I'm actually a worker at the temple uh, with, you know, with permission of my, my bishop and my leaders. Uh, but this continues to resurface. I've been in ARP. I've done 12-step. Um, nothing's working. Nothing works for a long period of time. And as I was hearing her, I didn't, I, I was at a loss. I was like, these things I thought supposed to work. What's happening here? And so I made a commitment to her. I says, I want to figure this out with you. And so we started to talk about, understand exactly what was going on. So as I started talking to her, she was, uh, first of all, she was starting to tell me about uh, what I found was interesting. First of all, she came in with a story that was overwhelming. 
Uh, and at the first impression was she was engaging in pornography, you would have thought maybe four hours a day and every day with the weight and the burden that she was coming in with. And I started to do an assessment on her and it came to find out it was much, much less. A couple times a month, maybe, at the most for small periods of time. And so that was the first thing that was surprising because when I go back to um, my addiction classes and what I knew at that time, whenever somebody comes in and says they have an alcohol addiction, we do an assessment. Where are they at? How bad is it? Um, but here she was coming in with a self-diagnosis. She believed that she was an addict. Mm -hmm. And there was no indicator within any form of uh, substance abuse, you know, under that model, uh, that she was actually an addict. Mm -hmm. She had an occasional use. Um, this was still concerning. And she still wanted to figure out how to overcome it. So you said that your client, when she came in, she said she had a pornography addiction. So what do you think is the problem with generalizing all pornography use with addiction? Well, addiction is a very serious term. Mm -hmm. It's lifelong. Right. Uh, you talk to any, any substance abuse addict, and they will, they will tell you, even when you've uh, been sober, you're still an addict. Mm -hmm. This is a very scary, very big term. Uh, and it weighs on people. So when you when you have clients, when you when you have individuals who identify as an addict, and they experience it, come across pornography at any time, and they they have any any uh, duration with that experience, they see themselves as, as a lifelong addict. Mm -hmm. That is a huge huge burden for them, yeah. and makes it very difficult for them to address. And they and seeing themselves as an addict is often more of the problem than the actual problem. Yeah. Um, that makes them scared to go ask for help. I'm thinking of all these teenagers who are dealing with this right now and just knowing that they're probably thinking, oh my gosh, I'm an addict, I'm going to deal with this forever. That would just make it that much harder to go talk to someone about it. Yeah, you can imagine a 13-year-old, the year previous, this innocent child who's excited, going to church, bearing their testimony, all of a sudden starts to have these hormonal rushes, comes across pornography, and has all these curiosities and all these feelings this is scary. Yeah. Now I have to confess this very evil thing, this very overwhelming thing to my bishop. Mm -hmm. Now I'm being labeled as an addict. I need to get the help that I need that an addict would, as opposed to somebody who just came across pornography. Right. Children will do one of two things. In fact, often kids will come in, parents will bring their children in to my office, and you know, usually when they're about 13, 14, 15 years old, and the parents will report to me, their behavior is completely changed. They're very anxious. They're depressed. They're not um, socializing as much. Usually that's an indicator to me that there's a potential that they've been viewing pornography and that they're not actually sharing it with their parents. And so when we explore that, usually is the case. They're afraid to say it. They see themselves as this addict or that they have committed this atrocity that they can't get away from and that they're becoming something that they're so scared of. Well, and I think there, there's wisdom in that if, if, if they have this idea that they're an addict and then if they do end up going to some counseling or something and the counselor finds, I mean, yeah, your kid's not an addict. <laughs> he's, uh, he's not addicted. And the parent's like, well, the problem isn't solved. Well, the reality is your child is not addicted to porn. He's 
almost I don't want to use the term normal, yeah. but you know what what, what do we and see I don't there? I think it's important for this discussion to start right there with the parents is is I think it's important as a clinician never to come in and, and, and destroy a concept, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, parents will come in and, and they hear that their child is, is seeing pornography and they may go to the idea they're addicted or we gotta prevent the addiction. And I you know, it's important as as leaders or as clinicians to not necessarily rip that idea from them. Um, but say, how do we make this as an opportunity to learn and grow? Uh, for example, one kid came in uh, one time, and I was working with him and his mother in, in some family dynamics, and very positive situation, but they're working through some teenage growing years, and uh, he came in one day, and, and sometimes we met separately, and just to talk things through before I brought his mom in and, and, and kind of met up with her and, and talked about goals and, and outcomes, and uh, one day he came in and he was just staring at me, just blank face, like a deer in the headlights. And he wasn't interacting with me like he usually had in the past. And so I kind of pushed back on him, exploring what's going on, what was in his mind. Uh, and he let me know he was watching pornography the day before. And he come across something that really just kind of shattered him, really put an impact on him. And, and uh, it was overwhelming. And I think this is really an opportunity for parents and especially clinicians, to be able to engage the topic, not to create more fear around it. Mm-hmm. He's already scared. Right. He's a, he's a good kid serving in the church, and he came across something that was scary to him, and he didn't know how to process it. Instead of reemphasizing that it was bad, I took the opportunity and used it as an educational opportunity. And so we discussed what was overwhelming about that. Is there questions you have about that behavior? Mm-hmm. And as soon as he was comfortable with talking about it, I engaged with him again and said, would you be willing to have the same kind of conversation with, with your mom? And he kind of had that look on his face like, I'm allowed to have that conversation with my mom? Mm-hmm. And that was both representative of what, what we generally see with the youth. Like, I can't talk about this with even my parents. Right. But a desire to. That was there also. I want to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so with his permission, I, I brought his mom in, and and I shared with her. I, I says, uh, your son has come across some pornography, uh, but I think this is a wonderful opportunity to learn how to actually engage him in the conversation. And so we were actually having a conversation there in the meeting where he got to learn from his mom what he had saw uh, mm-hmm. and have a discussion with her. And it had changed the dynamic of their relationship. I think we miss those opportunities. So it's not so much going in and saying, you're not addicted, but taking the focus off that and seeing this as an opportunity to actually have a productive conversation and to build a healthy relationship. Now he's learning how to have that conversation with his mom. He will hopefully be able to have the same type of conversations with his future spouse. Yeah. In a general sense, is it fair to say that the way our culture works and in Orthodox religious culture the approach to pornography is not always the best. Because, yeah. you know, if I want to say, look, you, you take a teenage boy, right? And he he's, has hormones. He's, you know, that's just the way it is. And you say, okay, there's no sex, um, no masturbation, no pornography at all. Um, you don't even talk about it. We don't think about it. There's nothing. That's not realistic for a no. human being, especially not in, not in 2018, right? So then um, they do those things anyway, and they're just quiet about it. And that's how you developed... Uh, you know, you develop these bad habits and the doing things in secret, and and you you create a really unhealthy sexuality, 
and then you know you go you come to BYU you go to St. Mary's you go wherever you go and then you get engaged you get married and then you bring that into a marriage that's not good and that I think not talking about it and um uh, just putting it away and pretending it isn't there just because it makes us uncomfortable has really long-term negative effects um, and ends up hurting yeah. multiple people. I, I'm really glad you brought that up because going back to that, that first case I was talking about with that uh, female client, that was probably the biggest issue with her. And I think I see with, uh, with just about every client I work with in, on this topic is this all-or-nothing mentality. It's either no pornography or I'm viewing pornography. As opposed to, and so what happens is this dynamic of, uh, gosh, it's been reinforced with this idea of was section 82, verse 7. When you repeat your sins, it's as though you've never repented before. And so it eliminates any type of progress. And so it's often, I'll, I'll speak with this, this first client that I was mentioning um, and other clients where they've been resisting, resisting, resisting pornography, and then they view it. And it's as though they have never repented before. And guess what their mentality is? I'm already here. I might as well engage in it. Use this as an opportunity, right? And Interesting. It's probably not that blunt all the time, but if I have to go confess anyway, is there self-mastery in that? No. There's, there's no way to recover from that. This is what this one individual was having an experience with and why she saw herself as an addict, is she was actually never progressing. So we changed the way that we measured her progress. We introduced it to her bishop, we introduced it to her, and that was actually track frequency and duration. That is key. That is absolutely key. Let me give you an example. She wanted to eliminate pornography out of her life. So in the old way, it was, let's see how long I could go. In fact, some bishops will say, go two weeks. Do you know what that means? What? On day 15, you get to enjoy as much um, pornography as you want, right? Hmm. Have you ever heard that? You know, no, that totally makes sense. Does that make sense? Yeah. So some leaders will do that, right? They'll say, let's see if you can go two weeks without pornography. And then what? Well, somebody hears that and say, great, I'm going to embrace that idea. I'm going to go ahead and, and try that. Three days into it? Guess what? They're probably repeating the behavior because they're looking at the two weeks as eternity because the bishop's really not giving the permission to, to engage on it on day 15. Right. So this is kind of the reconfirm. I'm going to stay away from it as long as I possibly can. So it's sheer willpower, right? It's, ah, but I failed. Ah, I'm not going to tell my bishop about this. I'm just going to try to secretly do it again and again. And again, so what I introduced was this idea of let's track your progress. Let's create true self-mastery. You know, I think the gospel teaches us that anytime we're pursuing Christ, that we're, we're drawing to Christ, the Spirit will be with us. It will encourage us and strengthen us. So as she was laying out her plan, she says, this is my baseline. This is the frequency in which I usually engage in pornography and the duration. So now if she finds herself engaging in pornography, she can say, oh my goodness, I'm here. It's been a minute. It's been two minutes. I could be successful by ending it now. I've created progress. Because in the past, I would have been here for 30 minutes, 40 minutes. Today, I'm successful. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, small wins. That totally makes sense. Small wins. Because if you feel like you keep trying and trying and trying and it just never works, then you've got to try trying? something else. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think that's really cool. I think the, the point here is, is taking this as an opportunity to learn that you can develop self-mastery as opposed to seeing yourself as an addict. Very, very few people are actually an addict who come into my office uh, who claim to be an addict. I'm, I'm experiencing pornography. I think there's a couple of things that we can do. Uh, I think it's important to actually see where you're at, track where you're at, and measure your progress in a long-term period of time. Yeah. How, how much for how long? And start to measure yourself downward so that you don't see yourself as failing every time. You know, a lot of my clients will come in and say, I, you know, I text my, my friend every time I looked at pornography. Well, why don't we use that as an opportunity to text your friend and say, I was only there for five minutes this time. This is a huge success. I chose to leave it in the heat of the moment. Mm -hmm. And then it gives to, something for the friend to be positive about mm -hmm. too. Because if the friend keeps getting texts like, oh, just again, again, it's like, sorry. Like they don't, I would imagine they don't know what to say. Yeah, it's, 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 it's if I may say this, it's, it's not viewing yourself as a, as a victim or a prisoner of that episode, but rather how you, like you won that battle. You yeah. know, you, you were Big still time. in the battle, but it ended before you, you won that battle. And then you can view yourself in a way that's making progress and not just as an addict. And then that's how you're on the road to, to kicking it. I think that's important for church leaders to understand, too. What I do with, with when bishops reach out, and I want to draw a very clear line. I'm obviously not their spiritual leader, but when they reach out and they ask, what can I do to help out this, the youth or spouse who's engaging in pornography? Um, encourage spiritual awareness. Usually the child or the individual who's engaging in pornography already knows it's wrong. It does very little good to have somebody else tell them that what they're doing is wrong. Mm -hmm. I have seen success come with every bishop who encourages sacrament, passing, and temple attendance while battling their pornography and encourages them to take this to the Lord in those moments. I've seen less success when bishops usually engage in by saying, we've got to remove this. Now, again, I want to be clear. I'm not telling how bishops should do things, but I think there's, there's a, a measurement or an opportunity here for us to engage as leaders by encouraging them to take it to the Lord as opposed to removing it when they're trying, when they're coming to you to discuss this. And in relationships also, it's, it's critical that you know, in marriages, we should be open about everything. And I'm not asking that spouses necessarily show the, you know, I'm not asking for them to show the porn, but if a spouse of somebody who's struggling with pornography, um, the individual already knows that they're struggling. Mm -hmm. I've had good men come in who are just great fathers, uh, successful employees, uh, doing well in life, who are priesthood holders, but can't understand why they keep repeating this behavior. Um, if the spouses could embrace them where they're at. I asked one husband, I said, what is it that you experience when you see pornography? You know, what was a pretty routine question that I asked? He teared up immediately. Here's a stoic individual, this just good man, breaking down into tears. And I asked, what's going on? And he says, no one has ever asked me that. I've been even too scared to consider it myself. 
I've been just trying to pray it away. And so I help the wife understand how to engage him in that, where he's at. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily explore the porn, but what his desires are, what his passions are, his interests. He just wanted to be able to connect with his wife. And that provided an opportunity for her to connect with him. Tell me more. What's going on? What draws you to it? And being able to create that safe space creates healing and connection like like you guys have, have talked about before. If we can do that, I think we can make our youth more successful. We can find opportunities to teach about healthy sexuality in the gospel. And we can connect with our spouses. Every individual is different, but I've noticed a common factor when when leadership can uh, use these opportunities like sacrament and temple attendance, the success of the individual skyrockets. We don't want you to be defined by this sin. When you're a disciple of Christ, um, you've been atoned for. You're not defined by that sin, um, but you can view yourself as a work in progress. And that is the that is the mindset that will bring you closer to Heavenly Father and understanding his character and his personality more. And even with the subjects that are uncomfortable like this, mm-hmm. uh, he knows about it, and you can overcome them eventually. Oh, so thank you so much for, yeah, for coming on the show. Yeah, it was so nice meeting you. For more information on this, go find and join the Facebook group Improving Intimacy in Mormon Marriages. And you can... Um, <laughs> That's the part where you're supposed to say subscribe to Three Mormons. Oh, oh. <laughs> I'm like... What are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> we also have other social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can check us out there. Yeah. Um, so comment below. Tell us what you think. This is, uh, this is, this is, this is <laughs> think it's easy to do this, but... <laughs> I gave him a hard time. Like, you gotta take that down. He's like, hey, this is hard. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's the most interesting comments that people do. Like, you should do your show this way. I'm like, you ever done a show? Like, no. Like, all right, come do an episode. And they do it. Like, all right, it's a little bit more. Thanks for listening. If you want to watch our videos, check us out on YouTube or shoot us a message on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter.